Welcome back, everybody, to the Flutie Flakes cast. I'm Doug Flutie. We're starting back up here with the football season, running parallel to college football and NFL seasons. Took a little break over the summer, did some surfing, messed around on some jet skis, saw a few sharks. Uh, my guest for today, before we get rolling, uh, is going to be Kirk Herbstreet. We're going to talk a little college football and what's going on in the world of college football, especially talking the business end of college football with the name and likeness stuff and all that's going on there in the beginning of the season. Uh, just for fun to kick it off, a little bit about uh, the offseason. I just got back. I've been talking about doing this. Now, I've been talking about doing this for 15 years, and my buddies and I got together with a lot of help from the guys from Sea-Doo, by the way. Uh, they jumped on board and, and helped us, gave us some good skis for this. We did a jet ski trip from Miami to Bimini, Bahamas, and everybody looks at you like, you're crazy. Well, it's only 51 miles. It's open ocean. We had a kind of a choppy day, so that was a little rough, but we had a blast. We are all alive. We're living. But as long as you have that portable GPS on the dash, all you all you do is follow a dotted line and you're there. But the coolest part was we were humming through these mangroves on the jet skis. And this guy, Juan, that's done it a bunch of times, is kind of leading the pack and showing us what to do. And by the way, we went over without a lead boat. Everybody said we needed a lead boat. As long as we had our GPS, we were good. And so we're out there in the middle of the ocean. You can't see land anywhere. And you're on little jet skis. Kind of an eerie, weird feeling. But anyway, we're going through these mangroves. We go through this area. We get off and we're walking through like three to four feet of water. And he says he's taking us to the healing hole, which is kind of like a fountain of youth type of thing for the island. And they all go there and, and say, so we're checking this out. We're walking through these men and Juan's leading the group. He's up front and he goes, oh, shark coming through, slide over. <laughs> I'm like, what? And we all kind of move to one side and this three to four foot shark just comes winding on through right on by us. And we actually, uh, when we when we got there, another one came around and we had the GoPros out. We got some pretty good footage of the sharks and uh, did a bunch of fun stuff. Went to a shipwreck, did a dive, diving off there and all that. So just before we, we went on air here, before we started recording, we were talking shark stories. And just yesterday morning, I'm back home in Melbourne Beach and I'm surfing. I'm actually on a stand-up paddleboard and I take a wave in by the shoreline and I, I you know, it was a decent little wave, but I rode it pretty far in and go to turn to get out of the wave, I turn right into a four to five foot, and I don't know what kind of shark it was, but it was a shark right next to me. So so close to me that I, I'm not sure if I touched it with the board or not, but uh, it darted away. I turned back towards the shoreline, rode the wave onto the sand and walked off the board and called it a day. So those are my shark stories for the, for the last little week or two. And uh, the Bimini Bahamas trip was so much fun. And I had a good group of guys to go with. We ran into a guy that was a local lobster guy that, that brought us uh, some lobsters that night and uh, just a cool little trip. And the thing that I take away from that was it's a lot easier to do than I, I realized. And I think I'm going to be doing that type of stuff more often. Um, as far as my guest this week, it's going to be Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk is, uh, boy, he's the face of college football, especially to me, especially as a broadcaster. Uh, a guy that is so prepared, does a phenomenal job on the games. And then, of course, on college game day. And I, I'm watching college game day uh, the other morning. They start talking about the name and likeness stuff and the players and the, the, the players opting out at the end of the season. And my generation, and Kirk brought this up to Desmond Howard, I cannot fathom opting out of a football game and deciding I don't want to play. My NFL career is more important. I'm it's like, I live, if I could have played another two games for Boston college, I would have killed to do that. In fact, at the end of my Heisman season, we played our bowl game. We played in the cotton bowl. 
we went on to, you know, you get selected for the all-star games, which to me was an opportunity to take a couple of trips, went to Hawaii, went to Japan. I never would have gone to Japan if it hadn't been for an all-star game. And uh, I wind up signing a contract with actually Donald Trump and the USFL and all that. And I remember Donald Trump saying to me afterwards, he goes, I, I can't understand why you would risk playing in those all-star games. And it never entered my mind. It's an opportunity to play and fun. We were just talking off air before this, that I'm playing in a men's hockey league. I play in a baseball league. I do this, I do that. I love to compete. I love the competition. I love to play. And when you go to a college to play football, you're there to play football. You're representing that university. And usually, usually, especially my generation, looking back, you think there's a loyalty to the school. You think that, you know, as the years go by, we all go back to tailgate together. All the guys get together, the alumni coming in. All, there is no loyalty today. It's all about me. It's all about how do I get my best opportunity? Uh, oh, wait, I'm not a starter as a freshman. I'm transferring. Notre Dame's going to have a transfer starting quarterback. Kentucky's got a transfer starting quarterback. You name it. They're all over the place. Boston College has Phil Jakovic, who came over from Notre Dame because Phil was not going to be named the starter. Left Notre Dame, goes to BC, becomes a starter. And thanks to COVID, he's got an, even an extra year of eligibility. He's going to play a couple of years. And I'm all about getting the opportunity to get on the field. Don't get me wrong. I love the opportunity to get on the field. In fact, that's why I ended up leaving the NFL and going to Canada because I was at 28 years old at that time. And I wanted to be on the field and play football. I didn't want to sit and back people up and, and have my prime years go by the board. But I understand that aspect of it. But when you pick a university, when you pick a school to go to, aren't you picking it, number one, supposedly, for the education, and number two, because of what it's offering you, you're picking a school. These guys are now picking an opportunity to play football. Am I going to have an opportunity to get on the field now here? Oh, I'm not. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll end up going to this school, even though it's not my favorite. And then if things don't work out there, they leave. What happened to competition? When I went to Boston College, I was the eighth or ninth guy on a depth chart at quarterback position. I was fortunate that some things happened that I got an opportunity early on and I ended up playing. Now, with name and likeness coming into play, now with the opportunity to make money off the field, isn't there more of a commitment? And I, I believe that the schools are going to have to, first of all, these deals are going to get in place before the kids sign. It's going to become a negotiating tool. It's going to create some haves and have-nots in the college football world. But it becomes a negotiation tool. You get the kid in the school. Now, what happens if the kid doesn't play well? What happens if he's not one that's on the field and he loses his endorsement? Does he leave that school? Even though he's being paid by somebody to do an endorsement in this city, he's got to go over to this city. It's just, to me, it's, it's adding fuel to the fire. I understand the opportunity to use your own name and likeness to gain financial, maybe even financial security early on while you're playing in college. But it's uh, opening a door to a real hassle coming and recruiting the, the, the teams. Obviously, we see Texas and Oklahoma heading over to the SEC, that that's going to be an opportunity uh, for them to compete there. And, and the haves and have nots will continue on. And it's like that's why everyone wants to get to the SEC, because they're all going to have that same mindset. And I believe this is all heading in the direction of someday down the road, schools, will own a football team and you guys play for our university. Don't worry about staying eligible. Don't worry about going to school. If you want to go to school, we'll go to school later. We'll pay for it. The one aspect that I left out there was when you go to these colleges, you sign a contract. You sign a contract with the school to play football for the school. 
In return, the school agrees to pay for your tuition, room board, your education, and, and a few expenses. What happens to that commitment when the kids decide they want to opt out and not play? There needs to be a minor league for football, and college football is basically it for the NFL. That's their minor league, their feeding program. Because if, if you're truly talking about college and kids that want to get an education and play football, you should have a four-year commitment from the kid to the school and a four-year commitment from the school to the kid, and you're off and running. Those days are gone. I, I'm living in a fantasy world. I can't relate to uh, the way the kids think today. The, the, the thought of me deciding not to play my last game again, we beat the University of Miami on the Hail Mary play and all that, and we're going to our New Year's Day Bowl. We were playing Holy Cross the next week. Should I say, ah, you know what, I don't want to risk injury. We're playing Holy Cross for crying out loud. I don't care. Should I sit out? I, I, I couldn't imagine that. In fact, if they could squeeze another game in before our bowl game, I would have loved it. It's an older way of thinking. It's a traditional way of thinking. It's the way we grew up as kids. Um, and maybe a lot of that had to do with growing up in the area of the school that you went to. There wasn't as much national recruiting. There was national recruiting, but uh, you know, the kids that grew up on the West Coast wanted to go to UCLA and USC. The kids who grew up in the Northeast wanted to go to the Penn State pit. For me, locally, it was Boston College. Or, you know, the Florida kids wanted to go to Florida schools. Maybe that adds to the loyalty. I don't know what the answer to that all is. I want to get into that with Kirk Herbstreet, uh, get into this discussion. I have a very traditional way of looking at things. I'm sure Kirk, being around the game as much as he has, um, will bring to light uh, the other side of that. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. Kirk Herbstreet coming up. Can't wait. Well, I'm pretty fired up. Um, Kirk Herbstreet is joining me now. And Kirk is the voice, the face of college football, a guy that I've admired for years because I jumped into the same business and used you as the gold standard. I was fortunate enough that we did a game together down in Miami, actually a BC Miami game. Um, yeah. I, I had a chance to watch game day again the other morning. And so the season's getting ready to kick off and you're going hundred miles. I don't know how you do it. You go hundred <laughs> miles an hour, you jump on a plane during the day to get to do your game at night, all that stuff. But uh, you know, you've been doing it a long time and you put a book together, Kirk, uh, your, your memoirs and going through it. Talk a little bit about that for us. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of, kind of different. I, I've done a lot of things like you mentioned um, and Gene Wojciechowski, who, who's a colleague and, and a good guy approached me a number of times about writing a book. And this time he caught me in the middle of a global pandemic when we were all quarantined. And I just thought it was a good time to reflect and, you know, not just talk about, as you know, broadcasting, typically it's the Doug Fluties or it's the Desmond Howards or it's, you know, David Pollock's or who, Chris Collinsworth, um, you name it, Troy Aikman. It's usually a name like that that gets into broadcasting, especially at the level which I've been able to get to. And in my case, I mean, I was a solid player at Ohio State, but just about that's about it. And yet I had a really interesting story on you know, my journey throughout my college uh, days, which I never talk about. And then how in the world I get so often, how did you get to where you are you know, in broadcasting? And so I talk about that. But Gene thought, because he knows me personally, that he wanted to go all the way back to how I grew up. And it, it just adds to wow, what a weird, strange journey for you to go what you went through to get to where you are. Because um, I, I was around a lot of dysfunction as a kid, you know, parents divorced and 
And I think the reason I agreed to open up and, and share some of that, which is not, you know me, I'm, not, I'm somewhat of an introverted guy. I don't really, not real outgoing kind of guy. And even with my personal time with my family, I don't really open up. And so it was not an easy thing to talk about. Some stuff I'd kind of emotionally compartmentalized for over 40 years and just hadn't gone there. And we all have our own story. And that's my hope with this book, Doug, is that it just resonates with people that whatever their journey is, whatever their story is, maybe this will make it where they can relate a little bit to, to what I've been through. And hopefully they enjoy some of the stories along the way. So yeah, got vulnerable, um, but I did it with a guy that I trusted and, and uh, we got into a lot. There's, it's not just football and broadcasting. We get into a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, they see whether it's a player going on the broadcast career or just players in general having successful careers, things kind of get fell in their lap and were handed to them. And I think by, by reading the book, they're going to realize, you know, the struggles that everybody goes through at one time or another, everybody out there, no matter how LeBron James, uh, Michael Jordan, you name it, they didn't want to get out of bed the next morning. And, you <laughs> right. know, just shut it all out now. And you keep yeah. going and persevere and get through it. Yeah. And I think, I think that word you just touched on is what I really value so much perseverance, you know, and, and we go through so many, somebody said to me, and I say this in the book, you're either in the middle of a storm, you're coming out of a storm or you're heading into a storm. And that's in life, not sports. That's life. You know, whether it's as a parent or as a husband or as a wife, as a brother, as a son, whatever it might be, well, life's tough, man. I mean, there's so much adversity that we all go through. I really open up about some of my failures and some of my challenges and, and just, I can relate to what everyone's going through. And, and um, you know, I, I worry, Doug, a little bit about parenting today because I feel like my generation of parenting, it's like a snow plow, not helicopter, snow plow. And I, what I mean by snow plow is I think parents today try to keep everything, all problems that are in front of their kids, they try to clear them out. Bad teacher, change a teacher. Another bad teacher, change a school. Uh, bad coach, move them to a different team. Anytime there's potential conflict or things don't go the way you had hoped, I think our generation really struggles to see our kids fail or, or go through adversity. And I would, I have four sons. They've been through a lot. I haven't enjoyed watching them. And I've felt victim myself of being the snowplow parent too. I don't want my kids to fail. And I think we're so hands-on as parents today versus what it was like in the 70s and 80s that I think that we are guilty of, of trying to fix all their problems, help them, you know, get into college. You know, once they get to college, we're going to like come and do their dorm room and get, buy them food. And it's like, man, like, let them do it, man. Let them go, let them fail, let them struggle and let them learn. And that's what I think I talk about a lot in the book is just when I was nine years old, I was basically 20 because of what I went through with my parents' divorce and remarrying and divorced again and stepdad and stepmom and stepbrother. And I'm bouncing around from house to house, eight different schools in nine years. So I was 10, 11, 12 years old and I was making my own dinner. And I was doing my own laundry and just, you know, it was, it was a different way of growing up. I'm not saying feel sorry for me. I'm just saying it really taught me the value of, it's okay to, to go through some gunk and have to, to get through it. And then in sports, it's so true. You know, you went through it, you know, you go, you go through the glory years, everyone sees your touchdown pass and you had such a marvelous career, but they don't see those dark days. You know, they don't see what you went through before. 
everything was shining on you and it's, you know, you're number 22 and everybody loves you. So we all been through some stuff. And I think if you take that away from people, you're really long-term negatively impacting them. And I, and I think that that's what I tried to share as much as anything. Yeah. I, I say it a lot now that uh, every little adversity, the, this generation of kids and the, maybe the parents are to fault, haven't had to deal with adversity and go deal with it on their own and fight through something, fight through the hardship. And they move on to whatever. When I was a kid, uh, we very poor bounced from house to house. My parents did stay together. That was the one blessing on my side. Yeah. That yeah. really was, was there for me. My parents were there for me, but in general, we had nothing. When I got to school, and I could eat three meals a day and know there was a trade. I was like, all the, all the kids talking about they need money now and they got to get paid and all that. I'm like, I had three meals a day. I get, the, right. I have a place to sleep. I got the electricity on. I got hot water in the morning. I'm pretty happy. I know, man. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. So I, I shake my head. And uh, you know, along those lines, now, you know, they're talking about name and likeness, all this stuff that's going to change in the college football world. And I, I, I loved you grew up in, in Ohio. It was the loyalty to Ohio State. For me, I was in the Northeast. I ended up going to BC. And you got this attachment to your university. There's two aspects here I want to talk about. One is the name and likeness thing. The other is the free agent market in college football and how crazy it is. And the, the same principle that we were just talking about, where I'm going to be the, oh, I'm not the starter. I'm transferring. Um, what's your take on all that's going on? I, first, the free agency market in college football. Concerning, obviously, just for what we just talked about. I mean, it's very rare. Look at Tom Brady. I mean, he's the greatest to ever do it. Go back and look at his career. You know, I mean, Tom Brady had Drew Henson. It was forced upon him, who was a superstar. You know how that goes. Guy that could pick between going to play for the Yankees or the Cowboys kind of thing. And he obviously, um, uh, you know, did not turn out to be Tom Brady. And yet in college, Tom Brady, he he was a great, very established quarterback. And next thing you know, he's sharing reps with a guy because of hype. And, and so even a guy like Tom Brady could have been in today's world, would he have left Michigan? So I, I, I worry about it because I don't want kids the first sign of trouble. They didn't get the starting job. I'm out of here. Coach yelled at me, made me get up at six in the morning because I missed class or whatever it might be. I don't like this coach. I'm out of here. There may be some certain situations where – Hey, if you're going to go, it, you know, it's not the place you thought it was going to be. There's some stories where I, I say, okay, that's all right. But not because it's hard, not because you didn't want a starting job. Um, that, that's where I feel like it's a little bit of a slippery slope um, as far as the free agency. Not to mention when these coaches tell me I'm afraid to go shake hands with the other team because I don't want these other coaches to come up and say, hey, you know, I know you're not playing uh, hey, we got after the season, you know, call us and, and they say this happens, you know, so how's that good for the game? We're just in a different era, a different time. I know we all have to, I guess, accept the, the new world, but uh, we don't have to agree with it. And so with with that aspect of it, the transfer portal, I think there, there are a handful of situations that make some sense, but many of which do not. Yeah, I think the primary situation is when it's not a good fit, unhappy at the school, you know, yeah, the, the group, yeah. whatever the atmosphere is. But I, I, I couldn't imagine having started for a number of years at BC and then somebody comes in who's a stud quarterback and takes over my role of leaving the school. I mean, you grew up an Ohio State fan. You had this loyalty. You, know, you pick a school 
for the university itself, for the situation you're going to be in, the coaching staff, the, the for us, the program. Now, take it to the next level where the kids are worried about name and likeness. Am I making money uh, going to the NFL draft? You guys were talking about it on game day, the, the pulling out, opting out of a game. I mean, I won't opt out of a pick. I played hockey last night. I lost my championship game and I'm a goaltender in hockey. I lost my championship yeah. game last night. That's awesome. But I was going to opt out because it's holding out for the silver league. I wanted to move up. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I just, I love the conversation you guys started. I wish you'd gone for an hour on it because, uh, yeah. you know, my, my take is this, you've signed a contract with the school to play football in return. You're getting your education and tuition, all that. Right. The notion that the players don't get anything is somehow caught in it's it's caught fire on social media. I have two sons that play as preferred walk-ons in college. I can assure you, as I write checks, they these scholarship players receive more than what you think. Not just scholarship, not just cost of attendance, but the amount of food that these guys get that's taken care of for them, um, the doctors, anything you want, tutors. Everything is just right there. It's, it's well over 200000 a year. Not to mention, I just feel like we kind of poo-poo on education. It just is almost just like, eh, whatever. That's a game changer in life for a lot of people, like for everybody. And to just kind of like, just kind of do that, it tells me what, what, what's real. What's real is NFL. The NFL and the, and the focus on getting the NFL has never been more of a of a driving force in our game than in 2021 or really the last 10 years. And so unless you have a mom or a grandma or a dad or a high school coach or some kind of mentor that tells you, oh yeah, you're going to go to the NFL. That's great. But in the meantime, guess what? You're getting your degree. Like unless you come from that kind of background, you're just going to fall to me on a conveyor belt and you're just putting all your chips in on three years and going to the NFL. And to me, you're really shortchanging your experience of what college could be like for you. Sure, have those dreams, go to the NFL, but you can't put all your eggs in that basket when only 2% of these guys are making it. 98% of these kids are not playing in the NFL. I'd love to see the percentage of the guys that get that game-changing second contract where they sign for crazy money. First contract isn't that. so. I just feel like we're selling these college kids a bill of goods. Name, image, likeness is cute, but it's short-term money. What you do at Boston College can impact you if you play your cards right while you're there for the next 40 years because of the relationships, because of shaking hands, taking your AirPods out, meeting alumni while you're there, take, getting a card, sending them an email that night. It was my pleasure to meet you. Thanks for taking the time to come visit with us. Hey, hope to see you soon. Boom. Hit send. That person gets that email from a young Doug Flutie and is and, and is like, wow, what a great guy. And all of a sudden you build a relationship. So when the NFL, if it works out, it doesn't work out. If you do that with 15, 20 people while you're in school, just think about the database that you have of people to, to lean on. And, and say, hey, did the NFL didn't work out, but I re remember uh, speaking with you and I had such a great time learning about your business, love an opportunity to sit down with you and learn more. That guy's going to be like, are you kidding me? I'd love to have you come in. Whereas AirPods in, 
Don't take any cards. Don't worry about me. I'm going to the league. I have no time to meet any of these people. And all of a sudden you get done, you don't make it. Now you're going to turn around and say, man, college football is terrible. It, 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 all they care about is making money. It's like, no, 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 no. You didn't take the time. You didn't take the time to take advantage of your experience. So to me, college football is about either the system takes advantage of you or you take advantage of the system. It's completely up to you and your approach. Have you had the opportunity to, when you talk to you know, teams or groups to, to say that? Because that is the yeah. message, man. That I didn't know. I was, I was a shy kid when I got to BC. I was playing. I was happy to be there. I was lucky to get a scholarship, blah, blah, blah. Gerard Phelan, the guy that caught the Hail Mary, Gerard knew how to network. He already was taught to get to get to know the alumni, get to know. The, and I, you know, I watched him and I, I learned over the years. Everybody can go to a class and you pass your classes and you moving on and down the road. and all. But boy, the connections you make at the college level. And like you said, two percent might sign a pro contract or, But how many are really going to be successful there? I, I love hearing you talk that way because it's a, my and Doug, I was. Dude, I was, I was just like you. I was a shy guy. I would go to those meetings where we would have the alumni come in and I would just be like, I would avoid conversation just because I was shy and I didn't really want to do it. What I'm explaining to you is what I learned on the back end of how powerful that relationship with a school like BC or Ohio State or Texas or Florida State or you name it, Michigan, wherever you go, if you take the time to plug in and just, it doesn't take a lot of effort. I wish I would have done a better job of it. I just, now I'm trying to tell my kids about it. Morehouse College, their football team, I told them about it. So any kid, you know, I can talk to about it because I didn't do it. I try to explain it because I appreciate the power of it. And I think that's so much more value than making 10 grand on name, image, and likeness. That's short-term money. We're looking for a, a livelihood of long-term and you got to have relationships. And that's what a what an advantage playing B, football at BC compared to all the regular students that wish they had that. Now, it's not a quick fix. It's not, here's a check for a commercial. It's It takes some work. It takes some staying power. It takes an investment for it to pay off long-term. But uh, to me, you got to have your eyes open and, and your ears open to, to take advantage of those chances. I, I just, I love hearing you say that because it's the way I think as well. And, you know, I've, I've been saying there's a new USFL starting up soon. And it's, there's, there's so many guys that could make a paycheck somewhere and, and try to go pro level or whatever. But I think there's a niche for a group of guys that are 18 to 22 years old that do not want to deal with staying eligible, going to classes and all that and have that type of a league over here for the kid that wants to, you know, he's definitely on that route. He, he's thinking NFL, whatever, maybe he makes 60 to 80 grand for 10 games and he's getting NFL style coaching and he wants to make his run. But the rest of us are over here in college football and I love college football. I love the purity of it. I'm worried that someday it's going to be the university's own and run a football team. And you know, school really not a part of it. This is what they're doing. And that's that's my concern. I hope not. Man, I hope not. That, that would be devastating because it's it's not just about, um, you know, when I think of college football, I think of the experience of these kids. And I feel like, 
like when I watch college basketball now and they, they're, some of these guys are going to, what is it? The D league or, or whatever they're doing, going to Europe. I'm like, man, I, I just feel bad that it's life's not just about money. You know, like, like as I get, I'm 52 now and I look back in my life, I think of memories and I think of experiences and I just feel bad that, um, and like you, I didn't come from any money and I've made a little bit of money doing what I do. Money doesn't define me. I can live my life without money. I can live my life with money, but man, I miss experiences. I, 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 you know, I go on vacation and my one vice is vacations with my wife and my kids because I love going skiing or I love doing whatever. I love memories with my kids. And I hate that these kids don't understand at their age, the value of going to a March madness and playing in a tournament or going to a cool bowl game and, and going to new Orleans or Dallas or Pasadena, whatever you are and having those, those memories for the rest of your life, you know, and, and that might sound corny or old fashioned, but I'll tell you, man, I know a lot of guys my age, whether they're black or they're white, whatever they are, linemen, receivers, quarterbacks, they don't talk about wins and losses. They talk about the camaraderie and hanging out. And that, that's what all, all the guys miss when you get older. And, and to take that away because you're in a rush to get to the NFL or a rush to get to the NBA, you're going to take away some of those incredible life experiences. That's a tragedy to me. I, I feel so bad. And I don't know about you, but every time I see an NFL player, I'll see him at a party or I'll see him at Super Bowl thing. And when they see me, they're like, oh, man, what's up? They're like, oh. What I would give just one more time to play for my team, come down that tunnel, come in on the bus, run out on that field just one more time. And these college guys are sprinting to the NFL because they think that's the answer. And all these NFL guys are like, man, what I would give to go back and play one more college game where it was more about just the fun and the passion. NFL is a business. I'm making money, but it's just a business. I want to go back and play college. So it's just funny how life how life goes. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade my senior year for the world. I finished third in the high school in my junior year. There were probably going to be opportunities. The the experiences I went through my senior year, the the around campus from after the Miami game to the bowl trip to the everything wow. that went on around campus and all the things yeah. that were going on. I was like, I can't even imagine. You know, I, I pass that up, opt out not play a game. It's like, can we fit another game in before we go to the ball game? We got four <laughs> weeks here, right? Let's play another one. I, I just totally, you know, totally agree. And yeah, it's just a different mindset. They're all, they maybe got agents and parents in their ear talking money. What's that line? What's that line? Jerry Maguire, help me help you. That, that, that's what I feel like we're trying to do. Like we're trying to help these guys see the light. I was told uh, by one of my NBC, um, associates that she was on campus my senior year when I won the Heisman and I was in New York. And uh, she just told me this like two years ago. Um, she said the night of the Heisman, when it was being announced, you could hear a pin drop on campus. The announcements made the campus erupts or you know, out doing whatever. And I had never heard those stories. I never That's heard so cool. how much, you know, you meant to the school or the school meant to, you know, I just wanted to get, in fact, that night, all I wanted to do was get back to campus and be around my guys. And you're stuck in New York for a day. But that night I actually did get back. Those are the things that are, are just so cool that, that the, the, the relationships you build through college and all that, the, the NFL is going to be there. How much, I'm just looking at name and likeness one more time. How much can some of these guys have an opportunity to make through their college years? Well, from what I hear, 
we, we were on a seminar the other day talking about this subject and, and the uh, company that represents some of the athletes and the, some of the transactions at this point, this was seven weeks into it. And they said there were about 1500 transactions. And of those 1500, the average transaction was for $923, which to you and me is that's great money, but it's not this, they're all going to make millions of dollars. It's $923. I found interesting 53% of the name image and likeness so far outside of football and men's basketball. Uh, so it tells you a lot of uh, female athletes are getting involved, which tells me a lot of social media, depending on how many followers you have, will dictate a certain price that you get for a tweet or some kind of messaging um, on social media. So yeah, right now it's about $923 average um, per, trans per, per transaction. So it's really not going to turn the tables and make it a haves and have nots in your mind. No, no. no. You, you're going to have some isolated cases. Nick Saban was quoted down in Texas at speaking to some coaches saying, I got a quarterback, hadn't taken a snap yet. He's close to seven figures. Now, I don't know if that's true or not true. I have no idea. Um, you're going to have some isolated situations. Like if Doug Flutie were playing in Boston as a Heisman front runner coming back for his senior year, I mean, you know, I don't know what it would have been. But I think, you know, the Kyler Murray's of the world, you're going to have a handful of guys. But I think for the most part, you know, what we're seeing is about right around $1,000, which, again, for you and me is, you know, that, that's a lot of money. But I don't know if it's going to be the quarterback rolling in and his bends, you know, and all of his offensive linemen looking at him like, wow, that looks poor. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if it's good. By the way, if a quarterback does make seven figures, the first thing he should do is pay his taxes. The second thing he should do is like take care of all of his offensive linemen. You know, that's, that's the first thing he needs to do. He'll learn that in a hurry, taking care of the yeah. line. And they're at school. I got $100,000. I got $100,000 to spend. No, no, a good, a good chunk of that. So you got 50,000. You have 50,000. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming up first week, uh, some three big matchups, I guess. Florida State, Notre Dame, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Miami. What do you, what do you see going into week one? What are you excited about? Or is it, is it still going to be Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and somebody else? I don't know. I mean, every year it feels that way. And, you know, Alabama is incredible, the machine that they've become. I mean, you lose coordinators. Bill O'Brien now is coming in there, you know, as a former head coach in the NFL. He's the new OC. You got a new quarterback. You got Najee Harris playing for the Steelers, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, they're in the NFL. And here comes the next wave, and, and Nick doesn't miss a beat. So until someone proves otherwise, you, you got to think that they've got a legitimate shot. North Carolina, I think. I think the ACC is getting better, as you know, with Halfley there at BC. Um, I think I don't know if it's as much of a slam dunk for Clemson. You know, I think they could, you know, open up with Georgia, which will be a tough game for them. Um, and then they've got some tough games within that conference. You know, Ohio State, I think a lot like Alabama. If you saw their wide receiver room, you'd think you were in the NFL. They, they are loaded at wide receiver, led by Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, both are first-rounders. Uh, but even that next wave underneath them uh, are potential first-round picks. So Ryan Day is doing a, a really good job. He's got a new quarterback, so he's never had a, he's never had a pass attempt in his life. Got him C.J. Stroud. But they're, they're pretty stacked. I, week one to me is about – you know, it's, it's a new era where the Big Ten opens up with, instead of some MAC opponents, you got Penn State, Wisconsin. You got Indiana, who's a top 15 team, playing Iowa, who's a top 15 team. 
And you got Ohio State playing Minnesota on Thursday night on the road. I mean, it's just very different than anything you've ever seen. The Pac-12, I think if there's a kind of a trend, they've got a chance to try to remind people that we still play football. You know, you got UCLA, who looks good. I really like. They play LSU this week. Oregon plays Ohio State. Washington plays Michigan. Uh, they've got some other games that I think will, will give them an opportunity. So, I, you know, I, I feel bad for the Pac-12. I love that region. I love the players that are out there. They've kind of been on the back burner, kind of hoping that they collectively have a great year. It would help their, their branding uh, a lot, and they need it. I'm sitting here. Yeah, I've, I've been in the world of college football for 15 years and covering and all. And uh, I don't think people realize the scope of what college football is and what it takes to cover and what you do. Yeah. They, I mean, I was very fortunate. I got a little niche in with Notre Dame and I had them and an opponent. And I was <laughs> yeah. seven times. This is awesome. I could do this, go home and surf. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You fat, you amazed me, Kirk, uh, the, the ability to stay on top of all that, you know, you're talking about backups in a meeting room and a wide receiver room. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, one more time, hit, hit your book one more time. Yeah. So it's, it's football fatherhood and, and college game day Saturdays. And, and it's again, as much about just, just go, all of us go through trials and tribulations, me opening up my heart and talking about some of those that I've been through on a personal level and, and then getting into football. And my dad was a captain at Ohio state played there, coached with Woody Hayes and Bo uh, went down to Miami of Ohio at the early part of the cradle of coaches and just kind of how he was my hero. And, and some of his shortcomings in my relationship with him and always loved him. I, you know, I never got uh, upset or, or angry. It was more of an emptiness, that relationship. It was just, I wanted more of it because he was a good person, kind of an inconsistent relationship throughout my, even in my adult life. So just talking, opening up about that, getting into football and some of the games and, and programs I've been around and, and then getting into the broadcasting aspect. So they can check it out at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. The audio book that you and I were kidding about before we got started, I did a, a, an audio book, which I've never done, obviously. It's 25 hours. Um, so please, just throw me a bone and listen to the audio book. <laughs> 25 <laughs> hours of acting, of being acting. on stage, I mean, it was, a player. It, dude, it was performing. I mean, you're not just reading it. I mean, you're reading it like, you know, you want to read it. And uh, I did it five hours a day. And by the time I got done, man, after five hours, I needed toweled off and felt like I ran a marathon, you know. So um, please, please listen to the audio. <laughs> I see that's I'm not a I'm a I'm an audio guy all the way. So, OK, for your flights. Yeah, there you that's, go. Yeah. pop that in. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, but check it out. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Great to catch up with you as always. Great catching up. Um Again, especially in the busiest time of your year getting rolling here. So I uh, hope you have another great year of college football and uh, very excited to listen to you every Saturday morning and Saturday Thanks, night. Bro. Thanks so yeah, much. Kurt. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. I love, uh, I've always loved you and really been a, 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 not just a big fan of you as a, as a player, but even more of a fan getting to know you as a person. So appreciate you having me on. I love talking with Kirk. Kirk is the, I guess, the know-it-all of college football and just the guy that I respect so much in, in his knowledge of the game and the time that he has spent with it. Uh, coming up now, Chris, fire some uh, Twitter questions at me. Let's see what's happening out there. All right, Doug, the first Twitter question that we have today. Great show, Doug. I like the true analysis with your guests from previous episodes. How about some linemen for guests for their perspectives 
and favorite lineman you ever played with? Who are some of the favorite linemen that you ever played with? Lyman perspectives. Who wants to hear from a lineman? Are you kidding me? Well, actually, when we came into the idea of doing the show, uh, we the primary principle was talk, talking quarterback talk was the initial thought. So I was trying to get as many quarterbacks as possible. Um, just, uh, you know, we've always gone from that point of view, and that's what a lot of people know. But yes, offensive linemen are a lot more colorful than you believe. They've got better stories, better camaraderie, all the, uh, the happy-go-lucky something. Most of them are guys that uh, uh, absolutely amazing guys that are – you know what's amazing about offensive linemen is that they – they put the team first all the time. I mean, they're out there bashing their heads. They don't touch the ball. They don't score touchdowns. All they care about is winning. Of course, they do care about running the ball so they can stay in that positive boat. My favorite offensive lineman, for, for whatever reason, first guy that comes to mind is Jerry Ostrowski up in Buffalo and Reuben Brown. Love those guys. Uh, you know, Part of that offensive line in, in Buffalo when I played there, I, I guess I had my success there. So you, you gravitate to those guys a little bit more and a little closer. There's another guy named Mike Kislak that played with me in Toronto. So we won two great cups together. He came up and then as soon as we won our great cup, he went off and played a little bit with Dallas afterwards with the Cowboys and had a successful career. It's, it's amazing the relationships that get built between the quarterbacks and their offensive linemen over the years. And, and you just, you know that that's a big part of your success you love those guys to death. They're characters. I don't want to see what goes on in the home. <laughs> Some, yeah, not always the cleanest individuals in the room in the world. All right, but anyway, I uh, love my guys, um, and I especially go back to my Buffalo days. I appreciate that. There's people out there who are flying the flag for Lyman. You don't get that enough. I feel like so. I appreciate that question. Uh, the next question we have: Do you miss the pizza and fried clams from Boston? I miss a lot about Boston. I love the pizza. I, I miss. The, I'm living in Florida. It's hard to find good <laughs> pizza in Florida. We do have a really good New York uh, pizzeria. The guys are authentic. They're all New York guys, and the pizza's great. So I'm a little bit fortunate there. The fried clams. I was never a big. I lived in Boston. I grew up in Boston. Never a big seafood guy. My parents were from the Baltimore area, and we did the. Uh, uh, Maryland steamed crabs thing. So I, I transitioned a little better to the lobster deal. You know, the lobster and crab is about it as far as I go for seafood. Um, the shrimp, uh, I don't, you know what? I worked in high school at a little, uh, when I was in high school, I worked at the ice cream stand. It's called Wallace's and they had a, uh, actually changed over a place called Nick's and they did the fried clam thing. And I remember separating the clams and putting them in the dough and fry, deep frying them and all that. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's why I don't like fried clams. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever try fried clams. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not interested in that whatsoever, but I am a big pizza fan. Do you have a favorite pizza joint that you remember going to a bunch in Boston? Cause I have an answer for this, by the way. Well, me. you know, uh, you know, we had a great local place called Agostino's that I love their pizza and it was our little local place in Natick, but the pizza that I got excited about first was Uno's pizza. And I went to. When I was in Chicago, went to the original Pizzeria Uno, you know, the whole chain out there, all the restaurants all over the place now, but the original restaurant in Chicago, in Chicago and I met Ike Sewell, the owner. It was really kind of a cool experience. And that, that Chicago deep dish pizza was like the first pizza that I like loved. Nice. So you would think it's strange for uh, someone who obviously grew up in Australia, but Boston is one of my favorite places in the world. I love going there. I try to make it over as much as I can. We went last year, me and the wife for my 30th. 
And one of the things that we did was a haunted pizza walking tour where they just take you to the different historical sites. They tell you ghost stories and you get to have pizza along the way. <laughs> and one of the pizzas that we got was from Regina's. I'm sure you've gone yeah, to pizza Regina's Regina. before. Fantastic, man. I think that's my favorite pizza in, in Boston. I've tried a you bunch, should, but yeah, that was good. You should have gone up to Salem for the haunted tour. The Salem we also mess. went up to Salem. Yeah, we which, did that yeah. as well. There you we go. As well. yep. But the, as far as pizza is concerned, we go over uh, Papa Gino's pizza was, was probably my favorite Boston area pizza. Uh, for for a chain restaurant and all that. Once we moved to Florida, we didn't get that anymore. So we'd go over to the preseason spring training games in uh, JetBlue over in Fort Myers, and they had Papa Gino's Pizza. You'd hear the Boston accent floating around. It felt like (laughs) home. It was great. And now uh, they've changed over to Papa John's. So I'm not even making the trip over to Fort Myers anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. Oh, man, I miss Boston. I can't wait to go back. And the last question we have for uh, for the Twitter questions, is there currently or was there any one player in the CFL that has the potential to be a major impact player in the NFL before they hang up the cleats? Oh, there, there have been a ton. And I'm not as up to date with the current guys that are playing. I actually saw a little bit of a game the other day on TV and watch a little CFL. I get, I, when the CFL games come on, when I'm flipping through station, I just, I don't look for them, but I stumble onto them and I just get locked in because that was the game that, that I really loved the style of the game. And it, it was a big part of my career and all that. So I, I had this connection with the CFL game, the fastest receiving core I've ever played with NFL professionally anywhere was when I was in Calgary for speed. We had a guy, Pee Wee Smith ran a four, two, six. We had a guy, Derek Crawford ran a four, three. We had a dominant slot receiver named Alan Pitts. That wasn't the fastest in the world, but he was the most dominant receiver uh, in the history of that league. Two slot receivers, uh, Wiggins and Will Moore. The year after I played with them, they jumped down and went to Carolina Panthers and had a couple of good years in Carolina. So there were plenty of talent. The one guy and the one situation that I'll point out is I'm in Calgary and Jeff Garcia signs with us, and Jeff is my backup. I leave Calgary. He becomes the starter in Calgary. I win my championships in Toronto, and I go to the NFL. After I go to the NFL, Jeff Garcia leaves Calgary, goes to the Niners, and becomes a Pro Bowl quarterback. I think he had five Pro Bowls for Jeffy. Um, backing Jeff up it was a guy named Dave Dickinson. Dave steps into the role. Dave leaves there. Uh, he came and played with me in San Diego for a year or two, uh, backing me up in San Diego. Dave and I are, are playing for uh, San Diego and Jeff is for San Francisco. We got a shot of the three of us on the field together. It was consecutive quarterbacks that were in Calgary. And John Huffnagel was our offensive coordinator at the time and our quarterback coach and done a phenomenal job. He's worked with Eli Manning, Tom Brady, you name it. And uh, he's developed a lot of great quarterbacks. So there's all kinds of talent up there. I think the one difference, and there are guys that all they need is an opportunity. I think the speed, the athleticism, all that is very similar to NFL talent. Just not as many guys that are 6'3", 6'4", with that talent. It's more like, oh, well, he's a 5'11 receiver. He's a 5'10 receiver. He's this. He's Everybody just didn't quite measure up for whatever reason to get their opportunity in the NFL, and they're just chomping at the bit to get that chance. There is an exceptional amount of talent, like just raw talent up there. It's not always um, fitting into the NFL game. Thanks so much for your Twitter questions. Love having that as part of the show. It always ends up feeding into a story or something and sparks an idea. Uh, continue to fire in the questions on Twitter at Doug Flutie. Uh, so we have some more nice fun stories and conversations on your questions. 
Anyway, the Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the Sirius XM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Cress. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Denny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you so much, Kirk Curbstreet, for being my guest, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. SiriusXM Podcasts. <laughs>